How many are glad to be in the house of God this morning? I said, how many are glad to be in the house of God this morning? Would you help me welcome our Athens family that are tuning in right now all the way up the road in Athens? Come on, tell Athens good morning. We love Athens. Family, same family in another room of the house, but we're glad to get to be together through technology today. I'm thankful for Pastor Chris and Amy, Pastor Devin and Ingrid, and the entire elect there in Athens. God bless you. We love you. I want to preach today out of the book of Exodus, the 30th chapter. And some time ago, the Lord began to speak to my heart a message that preached before. I know Devin's preached regarding this topic, and I have preached before on this topic. It's been some time ago. In fact, I know it's been some time ago because I could not find my notes on it. And usually I keep a detailed log of what I preach, but this is, this is several years, five, ten years old and um, before, since I preached this. But I got stirred this past week. Um, the Lord began to speak to my heart about this because I, I've been doing a lot of explaining to young people in this season, my own children, other children, about the authenticity and the purity of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I don't want just to engage in ministry. I want to engage in ministry that has been consecrated to God, touched by God and blessed by God. The anointing makes the difference. How many believe that today? The anointing makes the difference. And we may talk about the anointing for several weeks, but I want to begin today by talking about the anointing oil and this entire uh, subject begins in the 30th chapter of Exodus. And I want them to put that on the screen. We're going to read from the 22nd verse uh, to about the 26th verse. And we want to preach today on the sacred oil, the sacred oil. How many want the sacred oil to be on your life? Say amen. Do we have that? Verse 22. Let's read this together. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is, 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hen of olive oil. Verse 25. Make these into a sacred anointing oil. Everyone say sacred. Everyone say anointing oil. A sacred anointing oil. It will be a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. It will be a sacred anointing oil. And then can you do verse 26? Yes. Then use it. How many know the anointing has a specific use? Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law, verse 27, if you can, the ark of the covenant law. I promise you there's a 27 verse family. It's coming. We'll come back to it. The anointing has a specific purpose. And there it is. I told you. I was playing reverse psychology with them. 
the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering, all its utensils and the basin with its stand. The anointing had a purpose and it was specified what the anointing should be used for. And if you keep reading this chapter, it says, and the anointing shall not be poured on flesh. What does that mean? I'm going to talk about that some this morning, but I want us to talk about this anointing oil and the ingredients in the anointing oil. Because if you understand the significance of these ingredients, you can understand what it means to walk in the true anointing of the Holy Spirit. And today I believe God wants us to zero in on this one thing. If I don't get to anything else, there's a difference between being gifted and being anointed. There's a difference between being cool and being anointed. And, and I want today to say that the anointing is not about suit and ties. It's not about a style of ministry. But you can know when you are exposed to the genuine anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to talk about that today. Father, would you just help me? Um, I'm asking you today, Lord, that you would speak through my life as you speak to my life. I pray that the people of God would just hear the word of the Lord today and that a fresh anointing would rest upon the people of God. The oil, the sacred oil of the Spirit rest upon the people of God. And everyone that's had a dry season lately, I pray they come into a fresh anointing today. I feel that. Every person going through a dry season, let them come into a fresh anointing today. Let it be rubbed in and smeared on their life. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. So today, it seems sort of spiritual. This, this subject is not, you know, life application or... Um, how, how do I have a more successful marriage? We talk about those things sometimes, but this is, this is a spiritually heavy kind of subject, this whole issue of the anointing oil. Because the anointing of the Holy Spirit is a precious thing. It's pure, it's holy, the NIV calls it sacred. When God told Moses to make the anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, God said a couple of things that are pretty heavy. He said, number one, Anyone who makes an anointing oil like this should be cut off. Don't try to manufacture. God was saying to Moses, don't try to replicate or produce an anointing oil like this. There's only one true anointing oil. There's only one true anointing. And if we want to be consecrated and set apart and set aside for the purpose of God that he put us on this planet, operating in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we must first recognize that the oil of God's anointing is precious. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not trivial. It's not to be trifled with. It's, it's not something that is just kind of, you know, uh, if, if we get interested in the anointing, we'll go after it. There are too many people who attempt to do the work of God without the anointing of God. My concern in this hour is that we've learned how to do ministry but not lean into the oil. We've learned how to produce church but we don't know what it is to have a flow of the spirit and a flow of the oil in our lives. And, and there's a danger in learning how to do church without having the oil of the Holy Spirit on your life. 
I don't mean danger and in, 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 in trying to terrify you. I'm just simply saying that, that, that the work of the Lord is a serious matter. And it's not something we just wake up one morning and we call ourselves to. It, when, you're, when, you, when you recognize that you're anointed and you, that there's a purpose on your life, and I'm not just talking to the preachers and those in full-time ministry. I'm talking about to the body of Christ. See, we've got this thing wrong. We think that the anointing is only for people that stand in a pulpit, but that's why the church is anemic and that's why the church is not operating in miracles. It's because we've got a five-fold ministry that we idolize rather than a five-fold ministry that empowers the body to operate in the oil that he intended for us to operate in everywhere we go. You are anointed no matter where you are. That is the purpose of God. For that oil of the Spirit to rest upon you and to be rubbed into your life so that everywhere you go, you carry the aroma of the kingdom of God. And in the Old Covenant, the book of Exodus, you know the story in Exodus chapter um, 26 and through 33, God is giving Moses the blueprint of the Old Testament tabernacle. And there's so many specifics that God gives them. And then it gets to this chapter, the 30th chapter of Exodus. And God says, you've got all of the stuff in the building. You've got, you've got the Ark of the Covenant. You've got the altar. You, you've, got the, you've got the tabernacle. You've got all the, the, the stuff in place. You've got all the utensils made. And I've given you everything you need to, to have an encounter with me. But there's something missing that I need you to know is necessary for it to operate like I want it to operate. You need the oil. You can have the Ark of the Covenant. You can have the basin. You can have the altar. You can have the utensils and the table of showbread and the curtain that keeps you from the outer court and the inner court. You can have all of the curtains on top. You can have the door. You can have everything you need at the tabernacle. But if you don't understand Exodus chapter 30, then you miss one of the most important points of operating in the power of God. And that is that no matter what you have in the temple, if it's not been consecrated and anointed and used by God and touched by God, it cannot be used to God, by God most effectively. The Spirit of God doesn't just want us to have the stuff in the room. The stuff in the room has got to be under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when God said to Moses, make this oil, he said, I want you to anoint everything in the, in the tabernacle with the oil. And then he said something crazy, I want you to anoint the priest with the oil. Because you can anoint the stuff in the building. How many grew up in the kind of church like I grew up in? I mean, every speaker in our church had oil on it. We had old wood back pews. You could walk down those aisles of pews in the church I was raised in and see oily fingerprints all over the pews. I know that sounds crazy to some of y'all, but you don't know it. You're sitting in an anointed seat today. There's some prayer warriors that have taken some oil and oiled that seat up and prayed, God, whoever sits in this seat, let the power of God touch their life today. You say, Pastor, that's the craziest thing ever. No, we just believe that when God's spirit is present and the anointing is with us, it's not the oil that brings the blessing. The oil is nothing but a symbol of the one who brings the blessing every time he comes. And we have prayed today that that anointing would rest upon each and every every life but that oil was not just to be thrown together and it wasn't just any kind of oil it had a specific recipe look at your neighbor and say recipe the oil has a recipe you and I do not get to decide the recipe of the anointing 
the recipe is ancient. And you don't, you, you, most people don't like ancient things, but the ancient recipe of the oil has never changed. Like my mama's fried chicken. My mother's fried chicken is an ancient recipe passed down through a long line of southern cooks that did not consult the health people. Somebody said, well, you shouldn't eat that. Well, I don't always, but I enjoy it when I do. When my mama's fried chicken comes out of a skillet, because you cannot make fried chicken without a for real cast iron skillet. Now, you can try, but it is imposter. I said it's an imposter. Fried chicken not made in a black, black skillet is an imposter. When that chicken comes out of that skillet and it's sizzling, put it on the plate, pray quickly, and eat until you have no more room. Now, you let that chicken sit out for a good hour and a half, that same chicken is nasty. You can microwave it, but it don't work. But here's the point. Just because the chicken that sat out for a while doesn't taste as good as the chicken that came off the the stove, it doesn't mean you go get a new recipe for more chicken. It means you have to cook a new batch of the same old recipe. And this is where we are in the church. We've got some stuff that's old and stale, and instead of going back and cooking up a new batch and and, and going after the original recipe, we've tried to create our own recipes because we didn't understand that the anointing we were carrying was not bad. It was just stale. And when you get a stale anointing, you don't need a new recipe. You need a new batch of the same stuff that has worked year after year. And somebody in this room today has lost some anointing and the devil been trying to tell you, you need to change the recipe. But I came to tell you that devil is a liar. The recipe of the oil is still the recipe of breakthrough and God is about to rest a fresh anointing on your life and mine. If you believe it, say amen. Now, in the New Testament, before I get into the ingredients and I'm going to get there, in the New Testament... There are two types of anointing. Actually, they are categorized by two Greek words. One is aliifo and one is kriso. Now, aliifo is when you anoint something cosmetically. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, when he says fast and anoint your head, he's not talking about um, a deeply spiritual anointing. He's talking about a cosmetic anointing. Essentially, what he's saying is, If you're going to fast, take a breath mint and put some perfume on. Come on in here, y'all. Clean yourself up. How many know that one of the greatest gifts to the body of Christ is a breath mint? (laughs) Y'all can't handle this sermon today. There are some people that are, (laughs) they are blessed by God, and I'm going to bless them even more by giving them a contribution of chewing gum. Come on, somebody. The first kind of anointing is a cosmetic anointing. It's it's really like clean yourself up, get yourself together, don't look like you're having a bad day. But there's a difference between aliefo and kriso. 
Aliifo is this cosmetic anointing. Creso is a consecrational anointing. And I'm afraid in the body of Christ, we've gotten content with a cosmetic anointing. <sighs> the anointing that makes us look good. The anointing, that, the anointing that makes us look hip. The anointing that makes us look relevant. And somehow in the midst of all of that, we're pursuing uh, an optical relevance. And we are ignoring the fact that on the inside, we are dry. We are empty. We are hurting and in need of a fresh anointing. Not one that's just on our face, but one that is on our spirit. The kind of oil that goes beyond the natural. But when you walk into the room, anyone with the sermon not knows and understands there's something about your life it's this aroma of God it's this effervescence of God it's not just who you are it's who you carry there's somebody with you that's the kind of anointing we need we need more than a superficial anointing that gives us an artificial relevance I'm really concerned in this day and time that churches have put more confidence and faith in artificial relevance. Our style has become more important than our substance. Our performance has been, become more important than our prayer life. I want you to know today, we know when people don't pray. We know when people are operating in their own strength. The anointing makes the difference. I don't want to stand up and preach without the oil. I don't want to go through religious motions without the oil. I don't want you and I to exist and live dry on the inside. Part of this message was birthed out of a, just a real, to be quite transparent with you, a painful place. Every, everything that can be shaken is being shaken now. And it's not just outside the church. In fact, the Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. And in this year of pandemic and in this year of shaking, I have seen so many things exposed that I didn't want to see. And God knows my heart. I, I, I talked about this several weeks, and you just have to understand, we got to talk about this. We've got to flesh this out in the church. We've got to, we've got to make sure, and, and, and we're not just talking to the people in this room. We're talking to people who watch on Monday morning and, and on Tuesday afternoon. I want you to understand, preachers, and I'm talking to myself and I'm talking to all of us. Everything that I've seen lately and when a preacher falls and has to go through restoration, they all, we, they all have the same exact phrase. I was ministering, but I was running on empty. You can only operate in the church doing ministry for God on empty so long. The warfare in ministry is real. You can't not pray and not read your Bible and preach a masterpiece on Sunday and have victory over the devil. These demons are real. And because the crowd is happy and the money is increasing and the parking spaces are filled, we think everything's hunky-dory. And the reality of it is, in a secret place in our hearts, we know when we've got it and we know when it's missing. And somebody today needs to hear this preacher tell you God is waking us up and saying that the, the tank is not full. You're running on empty. And it's time to go back and say, God, I need a fresh anointing. I don't I don't just want to see it. I want to have it. There's some Christians in here like that. 
There's some saints in here like that. It's not just the preachers that need it. It's the saints that need it. Makes me love everybody. Makes me treat people right. There's some people that, you know, when the, have you ever got around people that have the anointing on their life? They smell good. I don't mean in the natural. I mean in the spirit. And there are other people you get around and they tell you how great of a Christian they are and there's something that stinks. What is it that stinks? It's the absence of God. It's the absence of his spirit. Well, I'm on my way to heaven. Well, great. You ought not live like hell while you're on your way to heaven. And you ought not smell like hell while you're on your way to heaven. You ought to come out from among the world and touch God with your heart and believe in God with all your heart and let him transform you so that his anointing can permeate your being. There's two kinds of anointing. A cosmetic anointing that keeps people knowing that from, from, from knowing the real thing and then there's this consecration anointing that most of the time happens in a private place with God. All the kings in the Old Testament, when they were anointed, they were taken into a secret chamber because God's anointing on your life is not between you and the world, it's between you and God. And one of the greatest things that will ever happen to you before you come into a fresh anointing is God will separate you. You don't have to say amen, just write it down and mark it down. It'll happen. God will separate you from people you thought you had to have, from connections you thought you had to have, from, 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 from places and from the kind of people that keep you from going to the next level in God. I'm telling you right now, when you get hungry for God, there are people that are with you in one season that cannot make it to you in the next. That is not permission for you to go to them and treat them nasty because if you have a mature spirit, you understand that meekness and kindness are a fruit of the spirit and we need not to offend people as we pursue God but it is absolutely a fact that when God draws you away there are people that ran with you now that cannot run with you and he will take you into a secret place and pour something on you in the secret place and when you leave that secret place people who weren't in there with you will know something is on you that is different than anything that's ever been on your life before And when God decides to give this anointing recipe to Moses, it's interesting to me that of these five ingredients, four carry a a distinct, unique smell. (laughs) Because how you smell matters. Why don't you just encourage your neighbor and tell your neighbor how you smell matters? People are like, yes, it does. How you smell matters. He didn't want a rotten smelling oil, a foul smelling oil. It wasn't an offensive smelling oil. It was a pleasant aroma. When that aroma escaped into the room, it attracted people to it. Jesus If you've got the real thing, your life is attractive. Does it mean everybody likes you or that you please everybody? It just means there's something sweet about you and people may not understand it, but they know it's different. It's the anointing. God told Moses, I want you to put these five things in this recipe, in the proportion that I give them to you. The first thing that went into the anointing oil 
was an oil called myrrh. Everyone say myrrh. Myrrh smells sweet, but myrrh tastes bitter. Myrrh reminds us that not every season in life tastes good, but there is no season you walk through, no matter how bad it tastes, that you can't smell sweet. Myrrh is the ability to walk through pain and still be pleasant. Myrrh is the ability to walk through sorrow and still come out sweet. They actually use myrrh as an embalming fluid. That's why when Joseph of Arimathea come to the tomb of Jesus to him, come to the cross of Jesus, they took his dead body off the cross and they prepared his body for burial by placing him in grave clothes and, and embalming him with myrrh. And often we look at myrrh as a sign of suffering. But I want you to understand today that myrrh is not just about suffering. Myrrh is about the sweetness that is greater than the suffering. The anointing on your life, if you're truly anointed, this is going to bless somebody, I hope. If you're truly anointed, you will go through some suffering. That may not bless people who are not suffering today, but anybody's suffering can be encouraged that my suffering is not in vain. If I can just endure this suffering, there's coming a breakthrough and a blessing. My pain has a purpose. I wish somebody would say amen today. My pain has a purpose. This issue I'm working through has a purpose. I'm not just coming out of this broke, busted, and disgusted. I'm not just going to Calvary and going to bleed and die. I'm looking beyond the cross to the joy that is set before me, Jesus said, and I see a harvest coming. And although I'm walking through this mess now, there's a myrrh coming on my life. There's a sweet-smelling scent coming on my life, and it's going to hide all of the pain it's going to hide all of the disappointment when they see your life under the anointing they won't be able to believe all that you came through and here you are blessed and highly favored the head and not the tail blessed above and beneath in the city and in the field how does it happen pastor the myrrh and some people don't have any myrrh in their life they don't have that sweet smelling Savor that comes up before God. The Gospel of John tells us that myrrh was included with spices in Jesus' burial process. The reason myrrh was added was to mask the unpleasant odor of the decaying, of the decaying body. If you, if you want to know how God feels about you, you cannot measure how God feels about you by if you suffer. Some people look at suffering and because of that they say there is no God. But if you ever suffer, it's because God trusts you to taste the broken place and still smell sweet. Too many Christians go through pain and reflect it. And when you go through pain and you emit pain everywhere you go, it's what's hindering you from walking in the anointing. A true anointing is when you can go through painful seasons, shed some tears, but get your smile back. 
Get your joy back. The devil tried to knock you down and he did, but you know what? The just man falls down seven times and he pops right back up again. If you've ever been through suffering, I just want to tell you, you passed some tests to walk in the anointing. And don't let the devil tell you that your pain prohibits you from walking in the fresh oil. It may be your pain that set you up to walk into a place of blessing and the devil will wish he never took you to a cross and tried to kill you. He thought he'd kill you, but he didn't know the tomb would become a womb. And on Easter Sunday morning, you're not staying dead. You're coming out because the same spirit that raised Christ is working in you as well. I wrote this down. If you can't taste the bitter and exude the sweet, you'll have, never have the sacred oil. If you always have to clap back, not going to get no anointing on this one, uh, no help on this one. Um, if you have to always clap back, get the last word. If you always have to get the last jab, if your life is filled with self-preservation, self-gratification, self-exaltation, then there is no myrrh being added to the oil of your life. You might be gifted, you might be charismatic, you may even seem like a talented leader, but the sacred oil is not haughty, high-minded, or self-seeking. Myrrh is an ingredient in the oil that reminds us the anointed life is one of selflessness and surrender to the voice and the call and the purpose of God. People with myrrh in their spirit do not get bitter at God when things do not turn out their way because people with myrrh look to him and say, you are good. In the morning, I'll say you are, I feel like I'm helping somebody right here. People with myrrh on their life have learned how to praise him in victory, and they've learned how to praise him in a valley. They've learned how to praise him in triumph, but they've learned how to trust him in a trial. People with myrrh, the people with the real anointing, are those that come through hell, but don't stop in the middle to have a pity party. They let God bring them through and rest in the fresh anointing of Christ. Number two, not only do you need to have some myrrh, but you need to have some cinnamon. Cinnamon is the second ingredient in the oil. There's this thing they do with cinnamon, this is going to be dangerous, called copusing. Is that good? Copusing. I practiced it like 20 minutes. I didn't, never heard that word before, right? Copusing. It's when they cut the bark and the tree of the cinnamon tree down, they cut it down and they take the tree and they start shaving its bark. That's where cinnamon comes from. And when, when they go through this process of coping, they're cutting the cinnamon back to get what they want out of it. And you would think, well, they're cutting it down. But the thing is, it never kills it. They cut on it, but they never kill it. Let me go over here and try that. They cut on it, but they never kill it. Have you ever felt cut on, but still alive? I don't know how you feel when you get cut on, but it hurts. There's pain involved when something cuts on life. Pain involved when something cuts into your heart. Pain involved when people betray you. Pain involved when people who you thought would stay with you walk away. There's pain involved. I just want to tell somebody you've been cut on, but you're still here. 
You cut on, but you're still here. And when every time God allows us to go through a season of coping, when they cut the, 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 the tree and they cut the limb off of the, of the cinnamon, it feels painful, but it will not kill you. It's only producing something greater in your life. And cinnamon is coming. Cinnamon is coming into the, into the oil and into the recipe to remind us of some things that we need to have. The other thing about cinnamon is not only do, do they go through this coping process, but cinnamon is is something that grows straight. If you look at a cinnamon tree, it grows straight. In fact, some cinnamon trees in, the certain, in certain parts of the world grow as high as 40 feet tall. And there is no curve. It's straight. Because cinnamon reminds us that posture matters in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have the anointing, you've got to walk straight. Up, we call it this in the old church, Upright. Upright. Anybody ever heard that? But I want to walk upright before God. Do you know there's a scripture over in the book of Leviticus? I believe it's the 26th chapter that, that, a, that a man with a crooked back could not be a priest. Y'all ain't not going to help nobody. A man with a crooked back could not be a priest. There's something about posture that is significant. You can't be crooked and keep the anointing. Even today, when we look at jokers that swindle and take stuff and and take advantage of people, what do we say about them? They're what? They're crooked. See, God is looking for some people that will walk with integrity in this hour. It's wonderful to have charisma and gifts and communicate and talk and be able to wax eloquent and wow the people with your, with your wonderful speeches. But I'm going to tell you right now, behind closed doors when nobody is watching, how do we live? Behind the green room, I'm not talking about how we perform on the platform. I want to know in the green room when the conference service is over, how do we treat people and talk about other preachers? Y'all not going to help nobody. How, what? Upright. The Lord gave me a word this past week. I didn't, I hadn't said, I never preached on this word. I don't even know if I've ever said this word too much. But the Lord said to me, where are the circumspect people who walk circumspectly? Y'all know that scripture over in Ephesians. He said, I want you to live circumspect lives. What does it mean to live circumspect? It means to keep your eyes peeled and to understand, watch this, don't miss this, to be very cautious and judicious in your decision making, understanding that there are ramifications for every decision that you make. I can't find no help in the church today. Where are the circumspect people who do not walk and live crooked lives expecting to live in the blessing of God? I understand that if I'm going to live in divine favor, I can't live a crooked life. I've got to live a straight life and live a circumspect life before God. They shave the cinnamon tree. What's crazy is this. When you, on the outside, the outside initial bark of the cinnamon tree doesn't smell good. In fact, it's offensive. But if you keep on shredding it and you keep on grinding it, it gets sweet. What's the point? The point is this, sometimes your life and mine is an offense to the world. I think people think it's easy just to make statements and preach true things and 
Do you recognize there are a lot of demon-possessed people in this world who I love dearly, but I want you to understand right now, there are people who hated Jesus when he was on earth, and they're going to hate you and me too. And you and I are going to have to make up our minds, are we going to be the kind of people who live upright lives but are self-righteous in our demeanor? You can be holy but not be mean. You can live an upright life but not ascend a perch of pride. There are some people who live circumspect, holy, upright lives and want everybody to know it. I want you to understand today, I preach, I preach and we talk about hard things and I hope you understand that the house that we're sitting in is one of love and no matter how hard the message of truth may be, the heart is saturated with grace and love so that even though what we say, the content of what we say may be offensive, the spirit with which we say it is one of sweetness. Cinnamon reminds us to live upright, holy lives. I just want to say this to you right now. It matters what you let into your life. It matters what you allow to mix in to the oil and the composition of the oil on your life. You must understand that when God starts doing a work in your life, it will be challenged if it is, I don't care how well-intended you may be, how pure your heart may be, the truth will always offend someone. And the church has got to do something in this moment, in my opinion. It's got to decide. We're not going to be liked by everybody for everything we say. And the question is, will we still say it? I, I get appalled when you just make a statement of truth and people get so excited you said it. And I'm like, why are we having a celebration about saying something we all should be saying? There's nothing special. There's nothing unique about it. I think what it is is we want everyone to like us. The problem when everyone likes us is we fall into the trap of compromising truth. And the people we're trying to attract by compromise, their souls are the ones that are lost when we don't love them enough to communicate the truth of God to them. Cinnamon reminds us to be upright. And then there is the third ingredient, and that is calamus. Calamus is this reed that the wind begins to blow on it, and there is this sweet fragrance in calamus that when the wind blows on it, it can literally fill the valley that the calamus is planted in with that fragrance. Calamus has a, a tendency to go toward, go with the wind that is blowing. It doesn't resist the wind. When the wind of the Spirit starts blowing on your life, what kind of smell does it release to those around you? See, calamus is what it is, but it doesn't really begin to smell sweet until the wind begins to blow on it. How many of you have ever felt the wind of God blow on your life? 
When the wind of the Spirit begins to blow on your life and this, this, this part of you, it's just God, y'all. It, it's not about me trying to smell good. It's just about me living in Him and Him living in me. And when the Spirit breathes on my life, people who don't even know the power of God, people don't even know the power of God in your heart, when they smell the God and the aroma of God on your life, they just want more of it. And when you get to this whole issue of, of, of the calamus, the calamus has a fragrance. The fragrance was there all the time, but it's the wind that releases the secret of the reed's fragrance into the air. The preparation of calamus or this reed for its use in the holy anointing oil is interesting. They pulverized it. Literally, the more they beat it, the better it smelled. Some people are like, I don't know if I want to shout or cry. I mean... How do you get excited about the beating? How many ever felt like that? Just, just one battle after another? One loss, it feels like. Y'all ain't being real. Just, just one thing after another. You, you, you're over here and you're serving God and it feels like that, that thing just beat the life out of you. Then you turn around and come over here and I'm, something else just beat the life out of you. And every time you turn around, you're like, is there anything other than this beating I'm taking? And what you don't see is that from an eternal perspective, God's, God's setting it all up. Not that he caused the beating, but he knows what's on the other side. He, he knows what's coming out of your life. And they beat, on, they beat on your life and it beats on your life and you just feel like one blow after another. And every time the devil gives one more shot trying to knock you down, he's released another dimension of the anointing in your life. Mm. If I had time to, I would tell you about the two golden uh, angels on top of the, ch uh, of the mercy seat in the book of Exodus. The Bible told Moses, I want you to get some gold, blocks of gold, and I want you to get a man with a hammer, and I want you to take that hammer, and I want you to get those, those blocks of gold, and out of that gold, I want you to take that hammer and beat on that, on that gold until you beat that gold into two angels with wings that are lifted up in the air. Come here, Rick. Let me, let me use you. Winston, come here, you big tall drink of water. Come here. You and, and Rick are on top of the mercy seat facing one another. And you started out as two blocks of gold. And it looked like just two blocks of gold until a man, a hammersmith, took a hammer. And he beat on the gold until the gold became two cherub whose arms and wings were beat into the position of worship. And every time he hit them again, it, the the gold felt the beating of the hammer but when the finished product came to pass what they were was not just gold pieces they were beaten cherub who were pointed toward one another and their wings had ascended into a posture of worship and God said between the two golden angels I'm going to meet right here on top of the mercy seat with all of my people oh I didn't feel 
like preaching. I didn't know I was going to preach this, but I feel like preaching this right now. Every time the hammer hits your life, you've got one of two decisions to make. Will I fall down or will I lift up my hands and bless the one who started a good work in my life? Somebody needs to hear me today. You feel like you've been going through one battle after another battle after another battle, but I want you to look around. You're not dead. You're still here. And has your warfare allowed you to come into a posture of worship? You'll either worry or you'll worship, but you won't do both. Can I find some worshipers today? Has anybody made up their mind today? I came through hell, but it brought me through, and I think I'll bless him for his goodness because he who has begun a good work will be faithful to finish what he started. Somebody give him praise. The more, the more you beat the calamus, the sweeter it smells. If that's the case, some of y'all been through a lot of mess because you smell, you smell so sweet. Look at somebody tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, you smell better than what you came out of. Who am I talking to? You smell better. You smell better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You smell better than a seven times hotter fire than you just came out of. In fact, when I inspect you, Shadrach, I thought I'd find singed eyebrows and singed hair. I thought you'd smell like smoke, but I can't even tell you came out of a fire. Oh, God, I feel like getting happy right here. How can you go through a fire and walk out of the fire and confuse the people who put you through a sniff test. How can you smell like goodness when you've been through hell? I'll tell you how. Somebody got in the fire with you. There was not just three men in the fire. There were four men in the fire. And when the fourth man jumps into the fire with you, he'll cause you to come out better than you went in. I wish somebody would praise God for the fourth man. Yes! I want to do a real quick test and I got to go, but I want to do a real quick test. How many feel like you've come through some seasons of beating in 2020? How many feel like you've been hit blow after blow? And come on, talk to me. Who am I talking to? I know it's been a decent year for some of us, but some of us have been through one thing after another. I just want to make sure you understand if you can go through it and pass the test of it, you're coming out of 2020 with a fresh anointing on your life and the devil not going to be able to Stop the flow of the anointing on your life. I feel a breakthrough coming in this church on Sunday afternoon. God is about to help somebody make sense of all the sorrow. Ooh, weeping only indoors for a night. Joy really does come in the morning. Somebody shout yes. Calm down. I just want to tell you that the beating didn't get rid of you. It made you hell's worst nightmare. Don't y'all know this by now? 
that anything the devil tries to kill that survives always comes back to be his worst nightmare. Do you understand that in September, somebody said, what was that? The Holy Ghost. That was the Holy Ghost on me. Do you understand that in the month of September, the entire front row of this church, all of my lead men were attacked with COVID? Do you understand that? Richie Hughes, Rick Smith, Chris Horvath, and me. And Rick, we didn't talk about it too much because you know now there's so much shame with COVID. People don't even let people know they're sick. When you got a cold, you tell 100 people. When you got COVID, you hide. That's a demon working. Now you say, Pastor, I don't know what you meant by that. I meant what I said. It's a demon of shame and fear. And this sickness didn't just come out of the ecosystem. It came from the pit of hell. And you know it came from hell because it has an assignment to not just make you sick. It tries to steal your joy and it tries to steal your family. I feel the anointing on me right now. And somebody said, why do you feel anointed? Because I survived it. And somebody called me when I was laying on my bed and thought I was going to die and said, when you come out of this, God told me to tell you he's going to give you authority over this sickness and the devil's going to wish he would have never messed with you. And that's why I thank God that I'm here today because I remember the night my fever jumped up to 104 and the devil said you will not ever see your baby graduate and today I come to tell you that devil is a liar God is a healer my entire front row all of them got sick blow after blow after blow beating and the shaking. You said that God do that? No, God didn't do that. But God's going to use that. And every time you go through something, and I was calling Rick, he was getting, I was getting on his nerves. He said, I ain't, never, I ain't never seen your face so much in all my life. I kept on FaceTime him in the hospital. Rick, get up out the bed. Rick, are you Okay. Rick, can you breathe? Rick, are you getting better? And the doctor said, this ain't a good situation. It ain't looking good. And Carolyn Smith, we got a hold of her in the lobby over there at the school one day. Oh, the Holy Ghost started moving. Help me, LeBron. I feel like preaching. I don't care who don't help me today. I come out of too many valleys. I've been beat up in 2020. I'm getting this out before I go get in my car. God's about to send a fresh oil. The Holy Ghost is about to come on somebody's life. Somebody who went through hell is about to come into a level of promotion that the devil didn't see coming. And we when God gets through blessing you, he's going to bless you good measure. Press down, shaking together. I feel like... How? Oh, somebody said, why are you doing this? Because I've been walking through something. I've been coming up through this valley. And when I come up out of this valley, I'm coming out with a new level of glory. I'm coming out with a new level of praise. Somebody do it real quick. Somebody give him praise. Somebody give him praise. Yeah! The thing
thing about calamus is the wind will blow on it and carry the fragrance. But when the wind stops blowing, immediately it bounces back. Look at somebody tell them we're getting ready to bounce back. We're bouncing back. And when you bounce back, when you come back, I just believe you're coming back stronger than you were before you laid down. Hallelujah. Oh. I got to go on here. Fourth ingredient. Fourth ingredient is an ingredient called cassia. Everyone say cassia. Not cassio like those cassio pianos. But cassia. Cassia is unique because cassia is a purple flower and it has this apparatus in the flower that can be filled with oil. And when the bud in a cassia flower gets full of oil, it bows. I'm getting ready to bless myself in this room right now. Oh, Lord have mercy. We need some people who can get more oil and instead of standing up, they start bowing. Oh, yes. Because sometimes if you're not careful, the anointing that promotes you can become the anointing that destroys you. Oh, I'm not going to get no help on this right here. You say, Pastor, how can the anointing destroy anybody? It's not the anointing that destroys. It's the person carrying the oil that misunderstands the purpose of the oil that allows their destruction. Mm, talk to me, Saul. Saul, you got anointed to become king. But the problem is you thought when you got the title of king, it meant you didn't have to listen to God. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. You can actually get the anointing and think in ignorant ways about it and think that you get to still call the shots because you're anointed and now you got a title but the devil is a liar if I ever get the oil it's not a reason to become arrogant it's a reason to bow oh I feel like bowing in here today bowing to the one that gave me the oil bowing to the one that crowns my life with loving kindness it wasn't you and I that earned the oil it was the goodness of almighty God This flower bends as a sign of humility. Bow down before the Lord. Worship Him. Oh, worship Him. Picked a horrible key, but we're going to go with it. Bow down before isn't he good come on uh, enter in oh enter in consuming fire and sweet perfume your awesome presence how it fills this room oh this is holy ground. <laughs> so come, 
and bow down. Kasi, just stay right there, Brian. Kasi is a flower that bends when it is filled with oil. The other thing about Kasi is it's purple. It's a beautiful purple flower. Represents royalty. Oh, Jesus. How many know that anything good on you and I is really not, it's, it's not intrinsically the good in us. It's the royalty of God who lives within us exuding through our lives. There's something else crazy about Cassia. Cassia only grows at elevations higher than 8,000 feet. How many ever been up 8,000 feet? Anybody? Let me tell y'all a story. Devin and I decided one time in our life, we're going to go skiing. Skiing. Now, you have to understand something. A man my size does not grow up with an affection for skiing. Football, perhaps. Basketball, maybe. Baseball, okay. Skiing, nada. Somebody said, did you ever try? I didn't want to. There's a reason. I didn't want to. So Devin and I, we go skiing, and Devin is a decent skier, and she'll tell you about it, too. She'll tell you about it. And she also reminded me frequently, you are not. I mean, I'm out here, y'all, on what they call bunny slopes. Six-year-old kids speeding by and snickering at me. And I'm like, you know what, if I get these skis off, your mama gonna have to rescue you from me. <laughs> so I'm out here and I'm skiing. And then Andy Hamilton, who is like a really good skier, he says to us, y'all need to get on that chairlift, well, Mari's husband, y'all need to get on that chairlift and come up here. Well, you know me. I'm a, I'm a good brother. I thought, I have done a bunny slope and a double green, and now he's going to take me up this little hill. Well, this little hill turned into 13,000 feet above sea level. Y'all, when we crossed past 9,000 feet, I looked at Devin and I said, <laughs> what are you doing? I can't breathe. Y'all know what I had? A can of oxygen. Y'all don't hear me. The Holy Ghost came in a can that day. I took out the can of oxygen, riding up on top of that mountain, could not breathe, and I pushed the green button, and all of a sudden, whoosh, oxygen hit my face. Yes, Lord! We got up on top of that 13,000-foot-high mountain. I could barely breathe. And when you got up to the top, there weren't so many people there. Because it's easy to operate on the bunny slopes. But it takes some training. And it takes some acclimating to be able to operate at high levels. And there are some of us today, we wonder why it's been harder to breathe, harder to deal with 2020, hard. And I'm going to tell you what's coming out of this year. God's been training us to operate in thinner air where less people are willing to go. But here's a beautiful thing. We didn't take pictures down on the bunny slopes. 
But when we got to the top of that mountain, oh, honey, come on, bring that new iPhone 13 over here with them three lenses on it. We fixing to take 52 pictures right here on top of this mountain. Why? Because the scenery at the top, the vision, y'all missing what I'm saying. The vision when you climb that high increases every level you go to. And what is difficult in the climb is worth it when you get to the top. How many have been, felt like you crossed a mountain this year? Climbed a mountain. Come on. I, I, the Lord gave me something for us. I'm closing with this. If you've climbed at all this year, the pain of walking up one side of the mountain will be forgotten when you get the momentum going down on the other. You know what happened when I got to the top? I put them skis in the snow, scared to death. But going down was much quicker than getting up. And acceleration is coming on you. Momentum. I feel this right now. I'm getting ready to let you go in a moment. But momentum is getting ready to hit your life. Anyone who experienced the pain of ascending is going to enjoy the momentum of taking the ride. And they're going to see you when you go down the hill smiling. They didn't see you crying when you climbed the hill. Hear me. God is looking for some people who can be blessed and stay humble. Cassia reminds us no matter how full of the oil we get, we got to keep a spirit that bows before God. The last thing, stand with me, in the recipe of the oil is the oil itself, the olive oil. Oh, Devin can preach this message. There was not just one pressing in the olive oil. There were actually three. There were three pressings, and the first pressing was the most expensive and the most precious. It is that third pressing that was cheaper. It's the ones that the in, in, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, they give us the parable of the men who had the lamps. Five had oil, five did not. That oil talked about there in Matthew's Gospel is the third pressing. Can you imagine how many times something's been pressed when you get to the third pressing? I mean, you press it out in the first pressing, you think that's all there is. And no, there's actually two more pressings to the same olive. God will squeeze every bit of goodness and purpose out of your life. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, neighbor, no pain, no problems, no issues, no bad chapters in your life will be wasted. All of it was pressing the goodness of God out of you. And every time... Do you understand that's why Jesus had to go to Gethsemane before he went to Calvary? You know what Gethsemane is? Hey, y'all, y'all ever been, ever seen pictures of Gethsemane? Gethsemane is an olive tree vineyard. And there in that vineyard in ancient times, they had a massive olive press. And this olive press had massive stones that they rolled on top of the olives. And every time that olive got up under that rock, that rock pushed that oil out of that olive And before Jesus went to Calvary, he had to make a pit stop at Gethsemane 
reminding us that before we go through the darkest hours of our life, there'll be enough oil on us when we get into that moment that even though death thought he had Jesus, Jesus was so oily, he slipped through the hands of death and death couldn't keep him. The olive oil. You don't mix up. How many know when we go to church, when we grew up in church, they had those little bottles. Y'all still got some in your purse right now, sisters. You know what I'm talking about. We had them little bottles of oil. In my church, we didn't have sweet-smelling oil. We had that oil that got foul. Y'all just need to thank God we're for real about oil around here, and we don't keep no nasty-smelling oil in the house of God. But growing up, I'm talking about that bottle of oil would last years. And you get into the fourth year of that thing and take the lid off in the middle of a red-hot revival to pray for somebody. Put that lid back on. God ain't going to move through that oil. Give me some Crisco or something. Here's the point. There was no recipe for a little bit of oil. There was only one recipe. Gallons, a hen of oil. And whenever they poured that recipe on a king to anoint him, you didn't put a little dot on his forehead to, you know, I don't want to hurt his hair. You poured the whole thing on him, and everybody knew he had been anointed by God. Here's the point. The original recipe for God's oil on your life, it is meant for everyone in this room, not just the preachers, not just the staff at your church. Contractors, doctors, lawyers, businessmen and women, hardworking men and women, grandmas, grandpas, students in school, college students, I want you to hear me right now. You can be a carrier of the oil. And I want everyone who wants to be a carrier. You say, Pastor, if I lift my hand, I'm going to be beat on and crushed. You said all these horrible things. Well, can I tell you something about it? You're going to go through that stuff anyway. At least let there be a purpose in it. And make hell wish it would have never messed with you. How many have been going through something, enduring something, walking through something, feeling some kind of way, and you just thank God today that you've kept your heart upright, you kept your spirit as pure as you can, and you want a fresh oil on your life. Lift your hands with me right now all over this room. Jesus.